without some form of universal basic income, we are in for a further hollowing out of the middle class. And it's an issue that breeds polarization and hate and anger and mistrust. I fear that we're in for an acceleration of inequity growth and concentration of resources in the upper 0.1% of society as a result of the emergence of uh, capable artificial intelligence. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. Happy New Year. This episode is a Rational View review of 2023 with an outlook for 2024. 2023 was a big, tumultuous year for years truly and that I uprooted my family and traveled across Ontario to a new city. And as a result of that, I apologize for the interruptions to the podcast that this entailed. I've finally gotten settled in my new home here. Uh, you can all see if you're on the YouTube channel. It's time for me to take stock of where I'm at on the podcast and make new plans for the upcoming year. I'm very excited to have you here listening with me. Thank you for coming. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, if you do enjoy what you're hearing on the podcast, I urge you to press like on your podcast app. I urge you to share it on social media. Uh, send your comments in. Help raise the profile of the rational view if you share my goals of spreading a rational view more broadly. So looking back, and reviewing the year that was 2023. Uh, surprisingly, there were quite a number of quality podcasts and episodes, uh, or at least in my opinion, I hope you share it. Um, and if you're, if you're looking for a, an in-depth, um, biting interview or a review on a particular topic, listen, listen in and I'll go through the, the episodes that, that I, that I did in 2023. Um, uh, I hope you, uh, get something out of this and maybe you can reminisce with me if you've already listened to them. So my first episode of 2023 was an interview with computer engineering professor Alexander Wong from University of Waterloo uh, discussing the emerging phenomenon of chat GPT that had just burst into the world's consciousness. We had a, a great discussion on what this might mean for society in terms of its impact on um, worker productivity and jobs. We also discussed the fact that ChatGPT seems to have features that indicate it is actually thinking in the way that we humans think along similar lines. Although it's not quite a fully human-like intelligence. It does weird things. It hallucinates. It doesn't have emotions. It can do things that had previously been ascribed only to conscious thought. It was quite an inspiring discussion. Um, I urge you to take a look. I followed this one up in April, actually, with a with a second episode on on this called "Are We About to Lose Control of 
artificial intelligence or AI. Uh, and this was in response to statements at the time by senior researchers in the field of AI who are urging a moratorium on research and development of large language models beyond ChatGPT, beyond ChatGPT 4.0, uh, due to the apparent risks associated with superintelligent, amoral artificial intelligence emerging. So following this episode, or these two episodes, I guess, uh, I did my 2022 year in review and posted uh, a Pecha Kucha talk. Pecha Kucha is, is a Japanese term for chit-chat. Uh, I did this for a gathering organized by my friend and fellow podcaster, uh, Andy Vasily, uh, of the Run Your Life podcast. And this particular episode in The Rational View was titled, Why We Need a Rational View. Pecha Kucha is a very unique um, presentation format. You have uh, kind of a six-minute slide presentation with timed slides that you have to talk to. And it's a, it's a bit disconcerting if you're used to just uh, manually uh, going through slides at a talk. Uh, you really have to rehearse and get it well and get your message down uh, to very easily explainable points. Um, I'm very happy with the presentation I made for this. If you want to get a good feel for it, I highly suggest going to my YouTube channel and looking up the Why We Need a Rational View uh, podcast so you can see the, the, the video of the, of, of the actual slides alongside the talk. So following this episode, <clears throat> I uh, reviewed an anti-nuclear opinion article which was published by a major German media organization. Now, Germany, of course, is uh, being run by uh, Greens who uh, are fervently anti-nuclear, shall we say. And the episode was titled, Is Nuclear Energy Good for the Climate? Responding to this article uh, in the German newspaper. And in it, I explored the various forms of bias evident in the opinion piece and I provided a point-by-point -point debunking of the claims being made. This one was very popular with listeners. Thank you so much for, for sharing it around. Um, following this, um, in, on the topic of nuclear energy, in March, I interviewed Dr. Robert Gale, who is a U.S. Uh, medical doctor who actually treated the Chernobyl victims in Moscow in the immediate aftermath of the disaster. Uh, he was invited by the Soviets to come to Moscow due to his uh, background in radiation um, radiation medicine. He provided his insights to me into the real risks of radiation on health. Um, after this uh, nuclear uh, nuclear energy podcast, I interviewed um, famous neuroscientist Anil Seth. Uh, and Dr. Seth discussed his investigations on the effects of hallucinogens on consciousness, amongst other things. Uh, a fun episode uh, from a real authority and a good outreach person, good speaker. Uh, after this, I also talked to astronomer uh, Dr. Paul Sutter on how he uses art to complement his scientific outreach. Again, a very good speaker and outreach person. Uh, urge you to listen to, to Dr. Sutter. In February, I moved on introducing a thread of episodes on a topic of interest to me in the science behind nutrition to actually dig down into the science and interview the experts on whether or not the dietary advice that we're getting is backed up with scientific facts. I wanted to dig into a lot of questions. So I talked to experts such as Dr. Marian Nessel, 
who discussed public health policy and the impact of the food industry on uh, advertising and regulations. I also spoke to Dr. Walter Longo on the health benefits of intermittent fasting and Dr. Joel Furman on his dietary advice to eat a huge variety and a lot more vegetables. Uh, following on later in July, I interviewed Dr. Brooke Goldner on how she drastically altered her diet and managed to cure her autoimmune disease. Uh, a very interesting interview. Uh, she was very good on the science behind what she thought she was doing. So uh, I was very impressed with her, uh, her, her talk as, as well as, uh, Dr. Walter Longo, who, uh, had a lot of information on on how fasting seems to uh, extend lifetimes and how caloric restrictions or intermittent caloric restrictions reset cellular uh, life cycles. Um, I also highly recommend my discussion with Dr. Jack Gilbert on the surprising health implications of the microbes in our gut. Um, he echoes the advice of many of my guests on the value of a diverse diet rich in vegetables, but he also uh, promotes the value of fermented foods to feed healthy gut microbial ecosystems and, uh, which are, we find are more and more responsible for our overall health. How, how the microbes in our gut actually control our, our emotions and how, how we, how healthy we feel in a lot of cases. In June, I summarized my research on this topic in a podcast called A Summary of What I've Learned on Nutrition and Health. Yeah, very inventive, Al. The consensus message uh, from all of these interviews that I, that I got uh, again and again from these researchers is to eat a wide variety of foods with an emphasis on fruits and vegetables especially uh, and keep your calorie intake low. Pretty straightforward stuff, uh, stuff your mom probably told you. Uh, but it also seems to have good scientific support. Um, and, you know, many of these off the deep end diets, um, are probably very risky things to take into account. Even if you do lose a lot of weight, um, at the start, uh, in many cases, you're likely to gain it back with health impacts. Uh, I also interviewed my brother, uh, Kevin Scott, who is founder of the Effortless Alpha Brotherhood. Uh, and a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, his group helps men to deal with society's expectations and show up as role models for their families and communities. Uh, and we talked about the doctrine of manifestation, which has become something of a gospel truth amongst self-help gurus. Um, and I understand, I think we all understand the value of positive thinking in our lives and how that can have a real impact on how we show up in our day-to-day -day lives and how that affects uh, what we get from other people, how that affects how we're seen. But I think my brother and I differ on the idea that just having the proper mindset can make the universe give you stuff you want. Uh, this episode was titled, Can We Manifest Our Future? with Kevin Scott. And I followed this up with a with a podcast uh, where I'd done some research on, you know, is this a, a bad thing to have uh, a positive mindset or to believe in manifestation? And it was entitled, How Should We Tackle Magical Thinking? And that investigated the phenomenon and why it has become so popular over the years. 
And I hope to follow this up, give Kevin a chance to respond in the near future. We might do a live broadcast where he gets a chance to defend uh, the concept of manifestation, uh, which he uh, currently fervently believes in. In May, I uh, interviewed uh, Professor Antonio Cabrales to discuss the likely economic impacts of the emergence of highly capable artificial intelligence like ChatGPT on white-collar jobs. ChatGPT is very good at doing coding. Uh, Low-level bulk coding, it can spout out working code. Um, And, uh, you know, potentially it has the ability to replace entry-level jobs. We expect that this is going to have a very similar impact on white-collar jobs as the introduction of robotics has on blue-collar jobs in the manufacturing economy. And the conclusion here is that without some form of universal basic income, we are in for a further hollowing out of the middle class. And in previous episodes uh, and podcasts, I've highlighted this as an issue. uh, And it's an issue that, that breeds polarization and hate and anger and mistrust. And I fear that we're in for an acceleration of inequity growth and concentration of resources in the upper 0.1% of society as a result of the emergence of uh, capable artificial intelligence. Um, you know, increasing productivity, it's going to increase profits in the owners of the business who are using these AIs to grow their profits. And it's not going to filter down to employees. Employees are going to lose their jobs and are going to be uh, out on the streets in a lot of cases. I think this is a very important issue that we all have to get our heads around because if we don't do something to distribute the gains associated, the productivity gains associated with robotics, uh, automation, and artificial intelligence, uh, we're going to have the tools for a, a utopia and the trappings of of basically a hellish uh, a war. Um, people are going to be upset and bad things will happen if we can't figure this out in a rational way. Uh, later on, I spoke to Dr. Christopher Reddy to discuss his book about science communication in a crisis. Uh, it's an important issue as it gets to the heart of kind of the emotional knee-jerk reactions that journalists and the public are, are want to take in the face of a disaster. It can really hamstrung public hamstring public policy responses to natural disasters or even future nuclear incidents, um, similar to the Fukushima uh, disaster where they unnecessarily, uh, I would say, evacuated uh, a large area. And that resulted in a lot of uh, unnecessary pain. And they've still kept some of these areas off limits, even though the radiation levels are low, uh, you know, you know, natural levels in some parts of the world. Uh, they they keep people out of, of these areas. And so we need to be able to communicate the science clearly uh, in a crisis situation and have people ready to provide this sort of level rational response uh, and sideline the knee-jerk reactions that can cause a lot of damage and hurt and have in the past. In June, I interviewed 
uh, entrepreneur Beth McDaniel to dig into her company's special paint, which incorporates living algae uh, meant to absorb CO2 from the air. This is a carbon capture play. Uh, the good news is it seems to work. The bad news is that it's likely to be a very expensive method of carbon capture at industrial scales. Similar to most other proposals in this field, this isn't a differentiator. Uh, just there aren't any cheap ways of carbon capture. I also had a, a fun chat with returning guest, Dr. Andy Norman, who uh, spoke to me about bolstering one's cognitive immunity so as to not fall victim to the boatload of information which we're all subjected to through unregulated social media and the algorithms that provide clickbait uh, to uh, play on our emotions and our emotional responses to um, misinformation uh, that we believe that is in line with our belief systems that these algorithms love to feed us. My biggest accomplishment of the year, I would say, uh, in terms of podcast goals, was to score an interview with famous Canadian science broadcaster Bob McDonald. I chatted with him in July about his very upbeat book discussing the energy transition, and I managed to quiz him on his position on nuclear energy. And he seemed very excited about the idea of new SMRs uh, being walk-away safe. Uh, and this was definitely a coup for the rational view. I hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as I did. Uh, I do enjoy doing this, uh, talking to the experts, people that I would normally not get to talk to. I'm happy to bring them to you uh, as much as I'm happy to bring them to me. Later in July, I interviewed returning guest Dr. Lee McIntyre on his new book, quote, On Disinformation, unquote. As you may recall, Lee also published a book uh, that I talked to him about on how to talk to a science denier, where he discusses infiltrating pseudoscience movements and how to change minds and influence people. An important skill for rational view followers and people who want to make a difference in the polarized society that we find ourselves in, uh, being fed by misinformation from bad actors with lots of money in their pockets. <clears throat> in August, uh, I moved on to review some breaking science news. Uh, there was uh, an announcement around that time of a significant breakthrough in technology development. A room temperature superconductor was announced. Uh, and uh, in the podcast called Superconductors, UFOs, Lab Leaks, and Climate Change, I reviewed the sketchy evidence behind this announcement and the parallels this had and the differences with the Pons and Fleischmann announcement of cold fusion. I also reviewed uh, newly released information on UFOs, COVID lab leak origins, and climate change. In a follow-up uh, podcast episode entitled, What's All the Fuss About Superconductors? I provided a more in-depth review of this uh, announcement and the technology and uh, unsuccessful attempts around the world to reproduce it. It eventually became clear soon after that the original announcement was an error, uh, and they had mistaken some particular um, microcrystals in the um, or microcrystalline changes with temperature in the uh, compound that they had made for superconductivity. In another episode, Origins of the Anti-Nuclear Movement, I took a critical look at anti-nuclear sentiment 
uh, and the origins of the anti-nuclear movement in the worldwide movement to end nuclear weapons testing. Um, and, you know, this was a very justifiable and morally good um, movement at the time. Uh, it was interesting, actually. I learned a lot about where this movement came from and how people, you know, feel justified to be anti-nuclear in the present age. It was very interesting because there was back in the 60s good reason for a lot of the original protests and ensuring responsible behavior in the nuclear energy industry. In some cases, waste cylinders were just being dumped in the ocean. It was a different time. If you've watched Mad Men, you know, you, you understand the mindset back then. People were just becoming aware as a, we as a society were becoming aware of the impacts of unregulated pollution in many industries. Uh, at that time, I mean, the solution to pollution was always dilution. Uh, so the, the environment was seen as this unending, um, sink where we could just throw everything and things were starting to pile up and protests were justified in a lot of cases. So, you know, let's not hate on all of the anti-nuclear protesters. Some of the safety issues that they addressed were very important, just like the entire anti-pollution movement back in the 60s was very important to getting us to a clean environment, a cleaner environment now. So after this uh, podcast, I also put together a podcast called Polarizing Fukushima Wastewater, which highlighted fear-mongering surrounding the release of Fukushima cooling water containing traces of radioactive tritium into the ocean. So it seems like the group which started in, in, in good moral footing with um, anti-nuclear weapons testing protests um, decided to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Nobody, um, or maybe some people did stand up to try to say, hey, maybe we're going a little too far. Maybe we've gone beyond where the science is. Uh, we're not vocal enough in these movements to um, slow down the, um, the rabid success of the movement in stopping nuclear weapons testing and nuclear energy expansion. In September, in an episode titled, Are We Facing insect Armageddon, I reviewed the science behind studies showing the world's insect population plummeting in response to land use changes and other factors. Now, these measurements are not um, well-supported globally. They are all local measurements, but they are in a lot of places showing significant declines in insect population. In other areas, they're showing, they're showing increases. It's uh, not clear whether this is a global effect or not. Interestingly, most of the earliest measurements of insect population loss were from Germany, where, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, political forces have gutted the nuclear power industry and attempted to replace it with fields of windmills and solar panels, which, which perhaps coincidentally, I found, require special surface treatments to be able to clean the insect carcasses off the windmill blades that end up coating them uh, as they uh, kill thousands and thousands of them uh, every day. Um, now, many groups have attempted to lay the insect losses at the feet of the unpopular herbicide glyphosate, um, the active ingredient in Roundup. However, a close look at the evidence from what I found shows that there's no causative link here. It's more likely linked to land use changes and just increasing human population. 
I also published an episode summer, summarizing some of my thoughts on consciousness called, What Does the Science Say About Determinism and Free Will? Now, this episode looks at my understanding of, of the quantum mechanics uh, and how our universe really is from what I've learned in physics as a PhD in physics and our best understanding of how intelligence works and consciousness and our ex- internal experience inspired by my my series of podcasts and interviews by researchers and also by recent progress uh, in artificial intelligence and my other interests that I've uh, published uh, uh, podcasts on and you know how recent progress in artificial intelligence and neural networks um, informs us about what our brains are doing when we have free will, when we make decisions, when we think. I'm very interested in the implications in regards to free will and determinism. And my thinking on this topic echoes those of the great philosopher Bertrand Russell, who indicates that we can still effectively have free will in a deterministic universe, even though, you know, the randomness of quantum mechanics shows that we're not really in a deterministic universe uh, in our best understanding at this point. If free will is defined as acting in concert with one's plans and goals, then even in a deterministic universe, we can be said to have free will. And that was an interesting thing that I, I love learning about these um, ideas uh, as I researched them, things that had never occurred to me. Like most people think determinism means we don't have free will, but what, what do we mean when we say free will? Not many people are clear when they say free will, what they mean. And typically they mean acting in concert with your goals, right? You want to do something, you do it. You, you will do this in a deterministic universe or in a non-deterministic universe. There's no difference. And if no one could know what that predefined future is, then effectively you have free will. Towards the end of September, I interviewed astronomer Dr. Indranil Banik on the implications of the Gaia satellite's uh, data releases. Uh, Gaia satellite is doing precise, precision astrometry of billions of stars in our galactic neighborhood, basically making a very accurate map of the positions and motions of all the neighboring stars in this section of the galaxy. Now, Dr. Banik has been a major contributor to MOND theories of gravity. So these are like a modified Newtonian dynamics. So changes to Newton's theory of gravity and Einstein's theory of gravity over large distances and at low accelerations. And these MOND theories are meant to explain the observations of of galaxy rotation curves where astronomers have posited that dark matter uh, must be present to make them spin as fast as they can in their outer reaches. Um, this is one of those Occam's razor things right now, like which is simpler, whether we have a new uh, form of matter that's creating these things, or if Newton's equations uh, have an additional nonlinear term at large scales. And uh, Dr. Bannock had recently organized uh, the year before, a MOND conference. So he's been publishing quite a bit on this. And I was discussing with him a recent paper which suggested that the Gaia data strongly support MOND. And I thought, wow, this is great. He must be very interested. And surprisingly, during the interview, Dr. Bannock actually stated 
that the paper had some major observational biases. And if you reanalyze the data with these observations, these biases in mind, they strongly refute the Mon theory to several uh, sigma level and point to the existence of some type of dark matter, basically rule out Mon. So he was basically, you know, shooting down all of the hypotheses that he'd been exploring over the last several years. So it was a great interview and I was so surprised, um, you know, kudos to Dr. Bannock for, for having the internal fortitude to, to stand up and say, look, I was wrong. This is what the data shows. This is scientific ethics and, you know, how science should be done. And I, I, I urge you to go look at that episode. It was really good. He seemed, he was a really uh, fun guy to talk to as well. In October, I, I interviewed an energetic physics graduate student, Jonah Messenger, who's been involved with MIT investigations into cold fusion or LENR, low energy nuclear reactions. He uh, also believes that there are a class of unexplained phenomena generating nuclear and thermal byproducts in these reactions, and they're worth more study. And I have done a series of podcasts um, on the same topic, looking at the possibility that there is something there, and it's not just pseudoscience. Um, as always, uh, we await more research. Um, I finished off October of 2023 with a trio of great interviews, starting with popular podcaster David McCraney on how to change minds. And that was a, a great discussion. Um, he's got some very good advice for any of you out there who want to influence the debate, uh, which is kind of one of the goals of the rational view. After this was famous author Naomi Oreskes, who had just published a book exposing the story of how the big myth of neoliberal economic theory was foist on the American public by rich business owners intent on preventing government regulations. And finally, in October, I interviewed returning guest Dr. Stephen Levitsky on the crisis in American democracy. Uh, Dr. Levitsky has published extensively on how democracies fail based on numerous case studies. And he sees many parallels with the current U.S. situation. So very interesting discussion there. To kick off November, uh, I went a little off topic, I must admit, publishing a rational rant about banking fees um, from a personal experience of mine uh, and continuing on my observations uh, of a lack of customer service uh, in my best impression of an old man yelling at clouds. The next episode was a discussion uh, with a fellow podcaster and longtime friend, Andy Vasily, again, chatting about how to train your brain. Now, Andy is big into competitive sports psychology, and we chatted about how training impacts uh, consciousness and, and unconscious reactions. You know, have your muscle memory, which is not really a conscious thing, but your your body gets used to certain motions and certain uh, activities. And how does this relate to consciousness and my research into the brain and the mind and consciousness? So great, a great rambling discussion about these topics, um, from a, from a very interesting person. And, uh, to, to round out November, uh, I interviewed, uh, Jim Getz, uh, from the Kitchener Royal Astronomical Society of Canada group on my ongoing interest in municipal light pollution abatement. Uh, and my last, 
podcast of 2023 was a great interview with Dr. Barbel Wunisch on reconstructing ancient CO2 levels through calibration of fossil proxy measurements. So this important work shows that we are currently revisiting CO2 levels that haven't been seen for millions of years. The discussion was really cool going into how we know about ancient CO2 levels in the atmosphere. We have bubbles in the ice down to about 400,000 years old in the Antarctic ice cores. We actually directly measured. Beyond that, how do we get estimates? So this is a great interview about how scientists go about making these measurements and providing some level of confidence so I told you I'd talk a little bit about 24. I haven't talked about every last podcast in 23, but I want to dig into some new issues for the new year. In December, I started to look at the topic of human enhancement with a cool interview uh, with uh, grad student Julia Domeniani on how we can use the flexibility inherent in our brains to control a third robotic arm as a, as a, a helper, let's say. You know, if you've ever soldered two wires together, you always want three hands to hold both wires and the soldering iron. Uh, this is a great uh, idea. Uh, she is a big supporter of human enhancement. I'd like to dig more into the the possibilities where the technology is going to lead us in the future and the ethical issues surrounding this topic. I think there are great possibilities associated with uh, brain-machine interfaces emerging in the technology area. And I'd love to learn what the state of the art is going to be. Where can we leverage artificial intelligence and robotics to, to make life better? Um, I'd also like to investigate issues of public policy that we cling to, regardless of the fact that we know there are better, more rational options out there. Uh, this, this is driving me. This is why I'm podcasting. What are some ideas that come to mind? Um, in reports I've seen, workers on a on a four day work week, for example, tend to be happier and less stressed than workers working five days a week. It's surprising, I know. Um, does this stand up to scrutiny? Is this is this true? Are we clinging to a five day work week out of some um, regressive attachment to the past and not an attachment to the data? Do you have any ideas for me? Please, I would love to hear from you if you have question burning questions or or injustices that you'd like to see addressed please post them on my facebook group the rational view and let's discuss um i'm looking forward to uh, a great year um i've been um thinking about some 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 cool ideas and i'm hoping uh that you will come along with me for the ride Thank you for listening to, to my review of 2023. I hope you had a great year as well. And here's to a successful new year. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.